he has a really good vision about where technology in the mining industry should go um, and often I I'm very risk adverse so even though we did take on all this risk of having a business I didn't want to take on more debt or go into too many unknown markets so he was pushing us so we did get there eventually but we probably could have gotten there faster welcome to startup west the podcast about startups who have been there and done it or are right here and doing it in sunny west australia my name's charlie gunningham and again this episode we're without usual co-host danelle cross who's just started her new role as a director of discovery at st hilda's we wish her well there. Don't forget to subscribe to Startup West on your favorite pod platform. And also check out our new website at startupwest.com.au. In this episode, we have husband and wife team that founded, ran, and then sold my plan, Rob and Louise Dorr. Okay. Hi, Rob, Louise. Welcome to Startup West. Thanks for coming here today. Great to see you. Hi, Charlie. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us, Charlie. Can uh, one or either of you um, tell us about my plan, uh, briefly about it and and how it all sort of came into being? Because I know the company's sold now and you're working for the company that bought it, but just at the beginning, when was it and what was the whole idea? Uh, We started the company in 2010. Right. Uh, Rob and I were both working in um, a mining software company and we just could see so many problems that need to be solved and we just felt that we had to go out there and give it a go ourselves because we felt with uh, his understanding and knowledge in engineering and surveying and my technical background um, that we could really bring a solution to the market that hadn't really been thought of before. So we created um, a lightweight data collection solution that rivaled fleet management systems but also extended to manual data capture out in the field. So any mine site of any size could get real-time data feeds and then an enterprise reporting layer over the top of that. So you're already working in a mining software company at the time. Yeah, we were. You saw a solution and then that mining software company didn't want to do it and you thought, well, we really need. there's a big need here and then you left to do it. Yeah, we saw gaps. Um, we're in a unique position where we're working in two different types of technology stacks. Mm. Um, and I think we saw the synergies between those two. Um, and then it made that decision to be able to go out and actually explore it with some of our contacts in the industry, flesh it out a little bit further. And then we saw that there was a, actually a commercial opportunity for it. And so right. then we continued to pursue it and, and uh, gave it a go. And you'd met at that company or in a previous... Because you met at work, didn't you? The, the two of you. Yes. 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 At we that did. company or a previous? No, no at that company. company. At yeah. that company. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then decided. And and were you married then? No. No. Aha. So okay, the plot thickens. I'm getting. <laughs> and then, so, but so you decide to do uh, well. The project of being married came later, but the project itself together, eleven years ago. Um, how did how did that get going? How did you fund it? Did you both quit at the same time? I'd love to hear that story. Uh, well, you may as well start that one because you quit first. Right. Yeah, so I left and uh, I had an opportunity to go to West Africa, actually, um, oh. into a gold mine over there. And I was doing a lot of consulting um, in the tech services space for surveying, engineering, short-term ta- and uh, strategic and tactical planning. Yeah. Uh, so I went over there for probably 12 months, I suppose it would be, on and off over there. During a civil war. Yeah, went through okay. that. It was quite an uh, interesting um, uh, experience on that front. And that kind of gave us the opportunity to, A, build up some reserves and, and be able to then bootstrap the business on that front. Yeah. Um, 
then obviously Lou kind of jumped out as well and started doing some consulting also. Um, so it was that sort of work by day uh, or consult by day and then mm. work on the business by night. So right. you kind of a lot of doing both strategy on that front. And how long until it actually created a company and you were in it doing it? Um, three months of us doing just the consulting ourselves um, and trying to build the foundations of the product. Yeah. And then after three months, we started to hire and we continued to consult by day so that we could pay the salaries of wow. uh, the three people that we hired um, over that period. And presumably you weren't paying yourself. No. Right. No. <laughs> we're, we're living with um, my mother in her upstairs spare bedroom. Right. And we were working out of my brother's uh, spare bedroom. This is real so, bootstrapping. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Definitely. And then yeah. in six months, we managed to commercialize the first part of our product. So we started to generate revenue from the software in a reoccurring nature. Fantastic. So a subscription service mm. model. And you had your first client, or you had a few trials. First two it. clients. First two clients. Yep. Actually, Using it, and was it like a per user? So as they more of them use it, more yes. revenue to you, and yep, yep. that's right. So yes. scalable from that point of view. Um, you kind of had a per site aspect, but then there's more and more people who wanted to jump on it and use it, mm. and it would scale on that front as well. And what were those first few years like? You had three staff. How long until you got paid? Then presumably kids came along. So yeah, all that. So it was about what eight years journey. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Seven. Seven years. Seven, we sold years? in right. January 2017. Right. Seven years. I think January. the first three years we had a product release, obviously a major one. We'd managed to get married and we'd had our first child within those first three years mm -hmm. as wow. well as scaled the business out to what, probably eight or so people by that point um, and had started to look at diversifying some of the product offerings as well. So starting to bring additional types of products to market. Um, and so, yeah, I guess that first – Three years is quite hectic in terms of, you know, getting your first one or two clients is some is you know sometimes it was about easy who, you know. for us because that was the connections and the people that had the risk. Yeah. And yeah. then with any business like that, it's about your third, fourth, and fifth client is always the trickier ones to get and start yeah. to scale. And so yeah, mm. obviously that uh, threw a lot more work into the mix and and um, a lot more experience on that front. But then yeah, as we said, getting married and having the first child as well was uh, definitely. Uh, added to the pot. And presumably, uh, as you were commercialising it, you were now going to get competitors or slash imitators who'd seen the same problem, were doing mm. similar things or... Yep. Not at that. I don't, I don't think then. it was at that stage. We didn't get the... Because the tablets were just so new and people were just... iPads in 2010 were very, very new. Right. And the concept of taking them out to a mine site right. and putting them in the field. Um, but so presumably connectivity was poor... Yeah, yeah. so we did degree. it all. So they all worked offline, but we didn't introduce the iPads. It took quite a long time to introduce them. So that was about 2014, um, which is the same time that we got funding because we right. needed to accelerate that we thought people would follow us. Um, but, yeah, I, I guess um, people just couldn't quite wrap their minds around that solution at that stage other than mm. the clients that were purchasing the product. So it sounds like you had a sort of bit of an open market to go after with solving mm. this problem, and but you got funding, so that's good. Mm. Was that sort of external investors or family and friends or? External investors. And how did you acquire those? I, I liken it to me going out and trying to pitch to investors based on a vibe in a very unprofessional way in 2013 because they just didn't know 
about funding and how to raise money, uh, how, what the language was that you needed. So yeah. then uh, I was fortunate enough to do the springboard boot camp. I think that's when I met you. Yes. And did a story about you in business news back yes, then, 2014. Did. Yeah, you did. Um, and then from, from there, I guess we were better equipped with the language. We actually understood the value of what we built. We didn't understand that most businesses start out bootstrapping like that, mm. that that's just not what's done that we were commercializing very rapidly all of our products and that we were able to continually build our revenue streams mm. so we understood our value so once we understood that message the language that needed to be used we had multiple people um, wanting to invest in us so we had the ability to i guess do some due diligence on them and find the ones that suited us most right well these people in the industry with these high net worth individuals? Had you angel investors, I suppose you'd call them? Um, yeah, so they were angel investors. They're locals. They, mm. you know, they believe in Perth Tech. They invested in other Perth Tech businesses. Right, okay. So yeah. they sound quite sophisticated investors. Yeah. People yeah, and that's what we were chasing. It. it wasn't just about um, the money on the table to help us scale mm. the business, but it was also networks and their experience that they brought to the table to, you know, uh, invest in us as mm. well as people because we mm. you don't know what you don't know, right? And they uh, have brought a wealth of knowledge on that front, which was you know yeah. highly valuable. To and us. had you done this before? You'd run businesses before. No. It was just no. the first business you did yes. together, all yes. in. Yep. First one, yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. <laughs> Marriage, babies, angel yeah. investors. Oh my goodness! All at the same time. <laughs> yes. Yeah, what were some swing. things that you know now that you'd wish you'd known back then when you were doing all that? Because you're sort of making it up as you went along, it sounds like. I mean, very successful, but my yes. goodness. Um, I probably should have listened to Rob more. Um, <laughs> well, it's getting recorded. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he has a really good vision about where technology in the mining industry should go. Um, right. And often I... I'm very risk adverse, so even though we did take on all this risk of having a business, I yeah. didn't want to take on more debt or go into too many unknown markets where he was pushing us. So we did get there eventually, but we probably could have gotten there faster. Right. Um, probably would have accepted investment earlier and right. built up the team. Um, but you don't want to make those decisions mm, wrong either. So I suppose naturally yeah. cautious is not a bad thing. No, and we had time. a lot of yeah. mentoring, though. We did mm. go out and ask help a lot, and so we got great guidance and advice. So we set up our business properly. We had all the proper IP protection in place. We set up correct contracts with clients. So without knowing it, we were running our business very well. Mm. Um, you know, very and then in hindsight, we, we would do the same um, yeah. again. I think, yeah, probably not as risk adverse. And I think this is a, definitely an Australian mm. trait as well. Mm -hmm. We, you know, now having a lot more international exposure and in the way that uh, tech's taken to other countries, I think we Australians are highly entrepreneurial and have great ideas, but we kind of fail at that next piece where, you know, you see some of our American colleagues and things and they go big, go fast, fail fast, yeah. learn and quick, all these sorts of things. And, um, there would be opportunities, I think, that we would be able to grasp if we did do time again. And mm. that's just natural that you learn along the path on there. But, mm. uh, yeah, I'm with Lou. There's not not much that I'd change on that on that journey. I think um, yeah. we were fortunate enough to have those great mentors and that really helped us out. Um, and, yeah, it was just a good journey. Probably like. not get married and have children at the same time. <laughs> the same time. Probably, yeah, that was hard. Your first employees, were they dev? Were they technical? They were help building you the software? Right. Up to then, had you sort of, 
I presume you don't code yourself, so you were getting it, what, outsourced? Mm, I or? built the database. You did? Yes. Fantastic. Yes, yes. So a bit of a programmer yourself? Yeah, more, more on the database side. But, right, yeah. okay. Mm. Fantastic. Uh, very quickly, we brought those the developers straight in to work on that version one. So we also made sure, I think for me it's always critical to have these in the industry that you're working in, um, to be able to have people that you can take and put in front of your clients. And so the first few people, even developers that we had, were in front of our clients, listening to their problems, their mm-hmm. needs, their wants, their desires, um, and making sure that that was reflected in the solutions that we were providing back to the industry. And that probably helped us scale as quick as we did as well on that front because um, yeah. it wasn't didn't have to go through a couple of different people to get the point across. Yeah. And was the idea to just run it, run it, run it? Were you thinking, oh, we'll sell this one day and and was Hexacon the first company that came across to approach you and others you'd batted away or how did that all happen in the end? No, we, we went in pretty targeted. We had an idea that um, we wanted to exit. Um, right. we, I guess like we'd just seen like it, when you build good tech in the mining industry and you start to eat away at market that, that businesses were getting purchased. So right. it's just assume like if we do this properly – then someone will buy us. So, yeah. And then we learnt later that it was called an exit strategy. <laughs> <laughs> and that, but I think that also helped us keep focus. I think right. in, in business there was a lot of opportunity for us to kind of get distracted mm. a little bit with yeah. some of the client requests and, and different industries and stuff like that that you could mm-hmm. target. But by having that uh, that focus at the end is to say, well, this is what we want as our exit strategy, yeah. um, helped us get focus and deliver faster on on that. Um, which is probably why that sort of six to seven, or seven year journey was around there. Um, so did you approach Hexagon? They approached no. you. No. So there was when when we were talking about this at the beginning of the business that we identified four or five companies that we would be encroaching in their market space and that mm. would buy us out. So we always knew that there was this list of five, and within the space of a couple of months, three of them had approached us. Uh, and we weren't really ready to listen. We, we, we felt that we were just at the start of our J curve, that we were, you know, we'd invested heavily, we were um, building clients rapidly. Uh, so we just weren't ready to sell. But then that's when the value of having sophisticated investors involved is that they're like, this is not normal. Right. <laughs> you need to explore what's going on. Why have three of the five come to you? Mm. And let's see, let, let's flesh it out and let's see what we can, we can get on the table. Right. And how long did that take that process from from approaches to final exit and contracts so presumably they mean due diligence and finally yeah. you get the money and yeah exactly probably the total duration was about nine months wow from okay. from the time that we first engaged um and that's it's a critical time it's hard right mm. because you are looking at the future you're looking at where you want to go but you can't take your eye off the ball of what your day-to-day job is either because mm. you still have to run a successful business whilst trying right. to do all this due diligence run all this uh you know networking and conversations yep. with these potential um yeah. uh, owners or bidders in this front so it was definitely a really interesting curve of uh, experience to go through over those nine months and, yeah. and what we learned I think though the due diligence process was only three months, which was extraordinary. It was the fastest one that Hexagon's done. And it was more because Rob and I just knew every part of the business. We knew the numbers. We knew the business models. We just knew every client. We had all the contracts there. And so the recommendation to, I guess, outsource some of that work to get assistance, just we just didn't need it. Um, Mm. And 
whenever they rang up and asked us a question, we could point them in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, and we got the core staff that we had um, in the beginning, they, they got involved in the process as well, which made it easier. And you had how many staff by then? How big was the team? 20, Hexagon board so, over 20. There yeah. you go. And they all got jobs at Hexagon. They did, they did. And yeah. that was like I mean, when you have multiple businesses looking at you, once again you can do that due diligence. So it wasn't – it was really important to us to know that our people had uh, career paths and that they yeah. had opportunities to expand um, and grow and that our product also had that ability as well. And one or either of you continued working with them as well? Yeah, um, 100%. So I was still working there So I've, since that time – um, from the earnout, which was sort of, you know, 2019. 19. Um, right. have then now taken on the role of the chief technology officer. So, uh, responsible for all of the R and D, um, around the world uh, on mm. all the different mining solutions that we take to market. Um, and I think there's a fair chunk of the staff are still without, mm. apart from the natural attrition that you mm. have, but, mm. um, majority of the guys are still there as well. Um, working towards the, the bigger picture of what we're trying to achieve. Mm. And I think, um, being part of that journey, uh, I do quite a lot of that work still now with Hexagon on acquisitions of other companies. Right, and that, interesting. that's something that I can bring to the table on that path and sort of give people comfort on what it is. Yes. And it's something we pride ourselves on at Hexagon is about how we scale businesses, how we you know bring them into the foray and how we actually mm. provide an industry solution and, and, mm. and what the value of their business is to the broader Hexagon suite rather mm. than just – Grabbing it. And Tell us a little bit about Hexagon. How big are they? We're based out of Sweden. Uh, about twenty six or so thousand people work for Hexagon. Uh, one of the leaders in sensor software technology. Right. Um, Autonomous market cap. I think you know, on the Swedish stock exchange. I think it's about thirty five billion euro, euro right. uh, size company. So mm-hmm. rather large. Through that, they've they touch a number of different uh, industries from agriculture to construction, rail. Lucas Arts and film and cinematography oh, wow. and things okay. like that, um, and I work uh, predominantly in the uh, mining vertical um, that's focused on the mining industry. Must have been interesting to have been on both sides of those deals where you were selling your company into Hexagon, and now you're on the other side of that. But as you say, it gives comfort to those because there you are, four years later, mm. still there, happy. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it does it definitely opens a door that you can have a conversation with the, these types of people mm. um, and give them some comfort and actually also understand and have some empathy as to what they're going through yes. in this journey as well because, you know, it is – it's a hard thing to do, to give up your business and whether yep. that's through acquisition or through whatever other reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a big part of your life and, and we – kind of get out of an appreciation of that on the journey through. And if you can say, I mean, you probably had a number in your head, you know, the value of the company. I know there are other issues such as what are we going to be doing and then how many staff are going to be taken on, but was there a number in your head and then you had to get them to the number or did they hit the number or exceed the number in your head? Because that's important, right? Yeah. 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 Um, our investors, they took care of that. But we, right. we all knew what we wanted to get to and they made sure that that was what we all realised um, and it was realised over a two-year period. So right, very happy very with good. that. And the, the other thing, so Hexagon really suited Rob and what he wanted because he had access to all mining tech, full life of mining, get into the autonomous space. But for me, I wanted quite a different career. Mm. Um, I needed a lot more flexibility, wanted a bit more balance of family and home life. We, yeah. we had choices and they were very, very – they have been very good to me in that mm. regard to give me a good work-life balance. 
And you still involved in startups? Like do you mentor now you've exited yes. to some degree? Invest in them, mentor, advise in the scene here in Perth? Yes. Yeah, yeah, try to be as much as we can. Um, obviously kind of get pulled a little bit with work, unfortunately. Mm. Um, but always, I've had many conversations over many coffees mm. uh, with a lot of the different startups here and, um, you know, always happy to impart knowledge or, and catch up with the, the different groups around there to see what they're up to. And I think it's important, even in my role within Hexagon, to see what's happening in that scene as well and how we can help sponsor on that front. So A is always keeping an eye on it from a investment point of view and what's, what's happening from a Hexagon point of view, but B, more and more importantly for me, is how do we contribute back to that scene and, yeah. and that you know, impart our knowledge, our experience, be able to help and guide different people on that front. Mm. So you, how would you classify the startup scene? Um, you've been in it for 11 years as a founder through to exit and now involved in the scene. Does it lack anything? Does, uh, would Anything you'd want to see it change in any respect? Or um, For me, I think that the, the access to assistance to places like Flux, SpaceCube, mm. it, it's amazing the support network that's around. Didn't have that in, when you started, right? <laughs> no, just, no, just garage. Spare bedrooms. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Uh, so I, I really I think that there's a lot more empathy given to people who are in a startup situation and people are willing to help and um, yeah I'm really excited by some of the tech that's coming out and watching the space of some of the businesses like looking through your podcast list mm. you know there's so many successful businesses and people with really great ideas yeah yeah it was interesting I talked to a few people this week about it actually and um, it's been highlighted. Uh, to me that how entrepreneurial, especially West Australians are, um, for even within existing technology stacks and how they're using it or new ideas and starting up and, and things like that. I think what we probably struggled with ourselves and, and what I've seen in the startup is that scale of the next phase. So again, there's yeah. fantastic ideas. There's these proof of concepts. There's this, this let's get it to the first phase and get one or two clients. But our ability, and it's partly because of our geography, uh, mm. to then scale and actually get it to, out to the masses probably is a step that we need to address as to the startup community and how we can make it more successful in that next phase. Mm -hmm. That's where I'd, I'm kind of throwing my eyes to as to what yeah. can we do in that space. Mm. Um, I think probably one silver lining out of COVID is, might be is the fact that we've actually now learnt to be a lot more remote on those side of things versus – having to be front and centre, face-to-face. Yeah. Um, so I'll be really interested to see over the next 12 months if that continues and, yeah. and what we can happen from there as well. Hi, just jumping in here to give a shout-out to our wonderful sponsors. Without these, we would not be able to bring you this podcast or do what we do at Startup News either. So we want to thank Startup News, who produced the Startup West podcast. Go there and subscribe, please. Spacecube Coworking Spaces, where we also record this pod down here at Riff in the city. The New Industries Fund, who give funding, advice, and support all year round. Curtin University, who have been a long-time supporter of innovation entrepreneurs in WA. The City of Perth, where we also record this pod, also a great supporter of the tech scene. RSM, who came on board last year, and who helped many startups with R&D tax returns and other advice. Dinner Twist, a WA startup itself, who has actually been on the podcast and just wanted to help out. So please, if you bump into any of these organizations and the people that run them, say thanks and go use their services. That's the best way to say thanks. Okay, now back to the show. 
Okay, we're back. Can we take you both back through your careers from your own schooling? You're both WA, born and raised, uh, Lou? Yes. Yeah, I grew up in the country in a little town called Darkin. Where's Darkin? <laughs> uh, it's south. East-ish um, from here, so on where Williams on the on the way to Albany. Okay, I guess. Williams, I know so, Williams. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, yep. it's a little town, and there was I don't know, there was maybe thirty children in the primary school. Right. Uh, so we we had lots of blended classes. I was um, so that was a good, that was and, a great life growing up on the farm with my ponies and sheep. So I was saying, farming. Okay, was mm-hmm. okay. Yep, catching the bus into school every morning, and then I did my senior. Schooling up in Perth. Yeah. Uh, wasn't a border because my parents had moved up to Perth by, by then. then. Okay. Um, Brothers, sisters? Yeah, older sister and younger brother. And at school, what did you like? What sort of subjects? Mm, STEM-based, so science, okay. mathematics, uh, and I also did like media, photography in okay. particular. Uh, did I know what I wanted to be? No. no. Uh, <laughs> right. I just knew that I wanted – to make make a living for myself and be able to build a career, so right. I just didn't know in what 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 area, even at university. So I went on to do a commerce degree after doing a year of travelling around Europe, and then I did a course in programming. It's one of the sort of foundational courses you have to do at mm. commerce, and just loved it. It really challenged me. It made mm. me think differently. I had was majoring in accounting and economics because I did well at that at school. Yeah. Um, but then I just pivoted and decided I wanted to become a developer. Right. So that's what you went into. Mm, yeah. Right. I think there was back when I graduated in 2002, there was three other girls that graduated from Curtin right. University with me. Um, so – Software yeah. development, database development? Uh, well, it was a general sort of development, but right. I preferred databases and yeah. data layer technologies. And, and then I actually got a, a job with a startup, a Perth startup that's been very successful back in the early 2000s called Lasata, and they had a data layer um, technology where they uh, sat over Sun Systems and um, Exact and lots mm. of other um, amazing systems. So that they had 30,000 clients around the world, which is not bad for a desktop right. solution. Yeah. Uh, and I got exposure to dealing with a lot of corporates then and got to see firsthand the full software development lifecycle, which and played well for our career and my plan later. And Rob, you're also a country boy, I think. Yeah, country boy, a little bit further south than Darkin, right. uh, down on the south coast in a, a town called Ravenslaw. Mm-hmm. Uh, not far from Esperance. Yep. Um, yeah, grew up on a farm there as also. As well. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so had the uh, wheat and sheep or cereals um, that we used to do there. Uh, came up to Perth as well for schooling um, and was a boarder there for a few years um, before then going on. I studied um, surveying at university and then went right. into the mining industry. So I kind of, I got four older brothers, or three older brothers, sorry. Mm. Um, and so, Kind of looked at the agricultural world and then looked at or primary industry really, right? Um, and mining was kind of going through one of its booms, right? Of, of, there was mining in Ravenstock as well, um, yeah. And so then, yeah, I was really interested. I didn't want to be behind a computer all the time. I wanted right. to be out and about on my feet and looking around. So, right. kind of went down that uh, surveying journey and jumped into the industry. Um, 
was fortunate enough to have some startup mines experience, which you know doesn't happen too often. Mm. Also went through and did some mine closure, did the open pit underground, um, worked quite a lot around the Southern Cross area, Kalgoorlie, right. and then was fortunate enough to do um, some work overseas. So okay. the Philippines, Vietnam, Laos, wow. West Africa, um, in different facets, and a majority of that's always been about training and upskilling uh, locals and trying to you know, impart our no- my knowledge on on the process from a either a surveying or a mine engineering or mm. like scheduling sort of point of view uh, yeah. on those those Are groups. Both farms still going? Yes. Your, your, your farm's going. No, we uh, my family sold their sold farm. Out, yes. Sold out and, and moved to Perth presumably? Yes. Um, one of your brothers or yep. multiple brothers running the farm? Yep, eldest brothers on the farm. Um, okay, so that continues. Yeah, so I still get then, out there and jump on the header every now and then and do a few few laps. Right. Mm. And eventually through various careers, you ended up meeting at the same mining software company, which is where the idea for my plan came up. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, so I, from my careers? side, I was pretty much um, you know, doing a lot of FIFO early on in my life. Kind of got to the point where I wanted to have a bit of a – a break from FIFO, so came into a technology company in Perth. Mm. Um, I think from Lou, your side was? Uh, well, I'd just been working uh, in a startup at Lasada and then they were sold to Systems Union. Right. And then I just started to think, well, hang on, there's so much happening in the mining space. And I, through recommendation or a connection from the startup, just said maybe you should go and check out this company. Gemcom, and right. lo and behold, I started there and Rob was there too. Right, that's what you met. And yep. Okay, well, fantastic story and thank you very much for sharing. Um, that's great. I think we sort of come full circle. What's it been like post-startup, but you're still in the company that bought you? That's interesting. I think it's quite exciting to sort of see, mm. uh, like a lot of people always ask, the very first question is, did you regret it? Mm. Like actually selling your, your business. And it's one of those ones that I've never regretted it because right. – the way that we've taken it and grown it and been able to can scale it and see more and more people using that solution in the industry is um, a, you know, it holds a, a special area for us in terms of, of what we've been able to achieve from there. But broader than that, like how it's also helped contribute to the broader Hexagon in this case group is quite exciting on that front. Fantastic. We're going to finish with a rapid quick fire round. <laughs> and Luke, first question to you. And then we'll just swap if you like, uh, or jump in. Doesn't matter. It could be the first thing that pops into your head, or it could be a discussion. <laughs> okay. But we always ask this: What's the single most important factor that makes a successful startup? Passion. Passion. And and belief in yourself. Yeah, determination. Communication. Yeah. Communication. Yes. Rob chips in with. And Rob, if you were to wave your magic wand over the local startup scene, what would you wish into being, or perhaps wish away? Yeah, can't reiterate that point before. Was yeah, how we take it from. The proof of concept into commercialization, right. really helping them on that scene. Right. And this could be for either of you. Start with you, Lou. Who do you admire in the local a startup scene, either a company or a person? I admire a lot of people. I, I, um, I admire all the people that help support and encourage startups. So, so like yourself, Cheryl Frame, Pierre, yeah. Lacey, that you're all amazing. And then I really am admiring watching the journey of the vault the girls there have, uh, you know, hit their worst possible scenario in COVID, just right. shutting down every function and event, and yes. they survived. Yes. And so if they can beat their highest risk, worst case scenario and still be here, then I just can't wait to see what they do. Over the the Vault, V-O-L-T-E. Yes, yeah. they've been on our podcast as well. Go yeah. back and listen to that one. They're great. 
And any you, Rob, anyone you admire particularly pops out of your head? Either pretty you, much the, the same. same. Yeah. Uh, I think some of the universities and some of the works that they're doing in some of the startup scenes as well. Yeah, um, is definitely contributing to the growth of the startup scene. Yeah, definitely. And how do you guys get away from it all to relax and refresh? Spend time with the kids. It, I said relax and refresh. No, we quite often try and get down the farm right. or, or to the yeah. coast and and get away right. from the hustle and bustle of the city. Yes, um, you know, let the kids get out and and ride the motorbikes and do all that sort of thing. And it's yeah, it's a special spot down there, so mm. it's nice to get away from. How old are the kids now? You got twins who are two, I know, and then yes, eight and six, eight and six. Okay, fantastic. How can anyone listen to this help you? Uh, I think that it's the other way around. If anyone wants to have a coffee or a chat about their business and how we can help mentor them or provide some guidance like we received in the early days, great. then we'd be more than willing to do that. How do they get in touch with you? Uh, what's the best way? Uh, probably through LinkedIn. It's probably okay. the easiest way. Yeah, cool. Well, thanks very much for that. That was really, really good. It's a great story, uh, my plan. Um, mining technology, obvious in this town, in this state, but you've made it happen. Um, before really there was a startup scene so um, right there to exit so it's a great story we need more stories like that and thanks very much for sharing it today appreciate it. thank you for having us thanks Rob and Louise we'd like to wish you both all the best for the future and thanks to our sponsors Startup West podcast is produced by Startup News and is made possible by the support from Space Cubed Coworking Spaces the New Industries Fund from Jitsi Curtin University RSM the City of Perth and Dinner Twist. We recorded this pod at the Riff Podcast Studios in beautiful downtown Perth, Western Australia. Don't forget to subscribe to Startup West on your favourite pod platform. Bookmark the Startup West website where all our episodes are also live. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you.